Your team will change, whether you like it or not. How do team managers effectively integrate new hires into an existing team, or manage a team that has lost members, or even deal with unexpected change? Author Heidi Helfen dives into these topics in her book, Dynamic Reteaming. Heidi coaches software development teams using practical, people-focused techniques with the goal of building resilient organizations as they double or even triple in size. Based in Southern California, Heidi has a 20-year-plus career in the software industry, and she's currently the VP of Engineering Growth at Kin Insurance. She was on the original development team that built GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar. In this episode, we talk about the power of listening and techniques to engage everyone's voice. We also talk about how structures influence communication and how communication influences structures and how change in teams supports learning and growth. Enjoy listening in. I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. Heidi, welcome to the Listen In podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Raquel. It's great to be here. So it's early in the morning for you. So I, <laughs> I appreciate you getting up so early to have this conversation with me. I usually like to start off the podcast by asking my guests, and I'll start this with you as well. When did you first start to notice the power of listening, whether it worked or whether it didn't work? Power of listening. Well, I'm trained as a co-active coach through Coaches Training Institute and in developing skills to coach others, listening is a key part of it. And the power of it is something that I think you rediscover all of the time because if you take the time to stop talking, try to focus on another person or what's going on around you, you get clues that might surprise you. And can you think of a moment where you were really surprised by the clues that you noticed when you stopped talking? Yeah, definitely. What comes to mind on that is when you're talking to another person and you leave space, they most likely say things that or offer solutions to their challenges that you wouldn't have thought of. So I think it helps when you hone in on listening and really focusing out 
It could be you're focusing out on a group or focusing out on an individual that you're conversing with. I think if you leave some space, it opens up topics that you wouldn't have thought of. So different coaching conversations I've had in the past. Also, I work a lot with software development teams and groups. I find that, and I have a post-it note on my monitor here that says, listen and ask questions. (laughs) I try to I try to listen as the default. Sometimes it's hard if you're particularly excited about a topic, you might want to get your words in. But I find that if you leave the space, it just allows other things to happen. And and that's probably a good thing because, you know, it's more collaborative. Yeah. So when you think about the software engineers and the way that teams work, we'll get into your book in a little bit because I think this is really interesting. But in general, but you have this post-it note on your computer as a reminder, and you're working with teams and groups. And I often, you know, you have engineers that are very quiet, right? And maybe it's harder for them to speak up. And you have other ones who are the creative ones that probably talk a lot more, talk a lot more, maybe or dominate a little bit. So what do you suggest to help these teams to help balance out the communication in terms of listening and speaking to each other, also to give the space? Yeah. So through this world of work, that's through our computers where we have our shared video or audio and we're at home or in a workspace and connected through these tubes. I think, you know, humans are humans. Some people are more outspoken than others, depending on the topic. Some people might chime in more or less. So what can you do to try to level the playing field or get all voices heard? I think we have different options in this way that we're connecting these days, one person, one cube, one video cube. And so some of the ways are, well, one is self-management. So noticing when you're talking, when you're not talking and enabling space for other people, you can make agreements, working with a group or a team for how you wanna communicate. And even pointing out the fact that, you know, some of us talk more than others and how can we, how can we encourage more participation and get more voices into the conversation. Three before me is one tactic that I think it comes from Sharon Bowman's training from the back of the room book. If you feel like you identify as a person that might dominate a conversation or take up a lot of the airspace, one of the tactics is try to let three people speak before you speak. I heard another tip yesterday. I read it somewhere for, for again, for people who might tend to dominate the conversation. I read, I read a tip that said, write down what you want to say and then wait a little while and then see if you still want to say it. So it's kind of another self-management tactic. And I, I think, you know, some other, other things you can do is use the chat strategically. So we're connected here using zoom. We have a chat window. So one of the things that I really like to do is, you know, you can ask a question, try to like, how, how does everyone think? that project went, let's say, or how, how do we think that meeting went? Put your thoughts on, on the experience and people can just write in the chat and then I have them each read them one at a time. So it gets some ideas out in, in written form and then I, we go one by one and people kind of read their thoughts. Mm-hmm. So how do you I, do I that? Think- how do you do that with doing one, when you say read one by one, what, do you, what does that exactly mean? Yeah. So let's say if we were here in a meeting and we had 10 people and we all read the same document, 
maybe we're reading a proposal of a, some new area of work that we're going to go into as a team. I could say, all right, let's spend the first let's spend the first five to eight minutes reading the proposal, and then when that time is up, I might say, okay, what are your reactions to this? Type them in the chat, and you know, some facilitators, and I learned this from friends in the liberating structures community, some facilitators will say, type your reaction in the chat, but don't press enter. Mm-hmm. We're going to all press enter at the same time at the end, you know, so you don't influence each other's writing. Yeah, I do and, that in workshops. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So you can like do that. And then yeah. you'll see, okay, there's, there's ideas from 10 different people. And then you can say, oh, Maria has, Maria just in the order that they appear in your chat. Okay, Maria, can you read off your thoughts? Okay, Jose, you know, Frank, whatever. And so you just go one by one and people get their reactions out. You know, I'll do that a little bit. I won't do the same thing all the time. If there's four people together, maybe it's easier to get the conversation going because it's smaller. But as soon as your groups get larger, I think it, it gets more challenging. So you can do things with I like to use, I facilitated a retrospective the other day to look back on how we approached writing our OKRs for the quarter, our objectives and key results. And we just broke into pairs and had a discussion in pairs and then came back and shared thoughts expressed when you were talking in a pair. And so it's kind of like a think, you could, you know, think, pair, share, think of ideas on your own, talk with a pair and then share with the group. I think there's a variety of different facilitation techniques, and these aren't new. I, they're from people would do them in person in rooms if if they were with a facilitator, perhaps. But I think the thought is, how do we try to get all voices heard? How do we try to encourage full participation when we can? I think this facilitation skill is becoming more and more important, not just for facilitators, but in general for leaders or people who run meetings or, you know, for groups and things like this. And I love what you're saying about, you know, if you're a small group, what are ways that we can hear all voices? But once you get bigger, what are some strategies that we can use so that voices are still heard? And especially the bigger the group is, the less likely people will speak out in the group, at least the shyer people or quieter people, right? So this pairing makes a huge difference so that the voices are heard and then they're brought So we don't lose the value of those voices in the group. And I wonder, like I had a, I was in a situation where there was a group of 30 and they had questions to work on and we broke them out into groups of five, but they all worked on the same questions. And what was really interesting about that is that then they, they put all their answers in the shared document. And then we could go through and you saw where, where everybody was aligned and where people weren't. And actually people were more aligned than what they realized. Mm. So the open topics were less than what people thought originally, but they just had never taken the time to find that out in that way. Yeah. 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 That, that's a cool insight. So you, yeah. you could be surprised when, when yeah. you foster that collaborative environment. Yeah. Before I was just thinking, when I asked you to be on this podcast, you wrote back that I said, you know, you have this book (laughs) and that was before I read it. So now I've read it, but so we'll ask you some questions about that in a few moments. But I asked, you know, do you, is listening important to you or is listening a topic in this for you? And you said that you nerd, you nerd out with listening. You love nerding out with listening. (laughs) So I, when I wrote you that email and asked you like, what was it that you thought? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, listening is hard. Listening is a lifelong 
thing to get better at. And I don't know about you, but I have to try over and over every hour to focus out and really hone in and carefully listen. I get distracted. I, you can get, you know, the visual distractions off of your screen and everything like that. But even in person, you know, we're, many of us have hectic lives. We're thinking about what we're going to have for lunch. And that is not necessarily relevant to like a strategy meeting, (laughs) right? So it's like, it's always this continual need to kind of refocus out, pay attention to the other people, really like get it helps make decisions. It helps you figure out what to do when you focus out and you listen. And, you know, there's different, I think, techniques to get better at listening and and such, but I nerd out on it because I think it's really, really hard. I think it's something that I don't think I'll ever have it completely mastered because I think it's something, it's like a muscle. You have to keep exercising it. And I find that really fascinating because I, because, you know, as we were talking about before, there's such a power to listening. And especially on if you're interacting with another human and they feel heard, especially if they've felt dismissed at other times, if you can like really, really pay attention to another person, focus out, be generous with your attention, it might really be life-changing for the other person because they feel they could feel it like a gift. Have you had someone listen to you in that way? Oh yes. Coaches. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If I, you know, meet with a coach or, or a therapist as well, you know, to have, to, to have that space for you to really help you figure out maybe changes you want to make or how you want to be going forward, whether it's amplifying something that is in you now or making a change, it really helps to have someone with you on that goal on that path. Yeah. You know, the, a lot of the science, there's a lot of research that's coming out now. There's a lot of new research about listening. So the research Mm. and listening impact is growing and it's really easy to distract people. It's really easy to do bad listening. And we're still trying to figure out how to do good listening. There's a lot of work to do in that area. So it's, it's interesting what you're saying. It is a moment by moment situation and it takes a lot of energy. And so the, the more you build that muscle, it gets, how should I say, it's maybe that takes less energy. <laughs> I still think it's challenge. It's not easy, but it still takes less energy and it can be really powerful. And you don't have yeah. to be a, a coach or a therapist to do that kind of listening either, even though it's great. We have, we have them <laughs> to go to. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So let's say we take that into what your book is about. Your book is called Dynamic Reteaming, and it's about team change. So maybe you you can just give listeners just a brief idea of the spark behind your book and what came out and where things are now. Certainly. So Dynamic Reteaming, as you uh, said, is about team change. And so I've found myself for the past 20 plus years working in fast growing software companies, companies that doubled in size, companies that tripled in size. And I, like many of the listeners, I'm a person that reads a lot of books. I try to get better at what I do. I try to hone my craft. And one thing that I noticed is that a lot of the books about teams and about the world of work talk about how the best or the most effective teams are the ones that don't change. So the quest is for stability. 
and getting stable teams that change infrequently so people can know each other. You might have heard forming, storming, norming, performing. That's what we want. That's the goal. But in my world and in my past experience, I noticed something a bit different. I noticed that, well, sometimes people join our teams or leave our teams. Sometimes our teams get big. They grow big and they split in half. Or sometimes at the team level, teams join or merge together. Or companies, this is something at multiple levels, companies merge or maybe break apart. And so there's these, there are these change patterns that exist in many organizations. And I became curious about that because I was questioning the traditional wisdom that said, keep your teams the same or stable. Because if I would have done that in my jobs over the years, it would have been counterproductive. What? I'm not going to, you know, help figure out how to integrate 20 new people into our teams. It only takes the addition or removal of one person to have a new team system. This is from organizational systems relationship, organizational relationship systems coaching, or which is a team, team coaching approach that I'm trained in. And I really believe it. We are humans together. And when new humans enter or exit our scenarios, it feels different. The work shifts and it is a bit different. So leaning into team change as opposed to the quest for stability is, is where I focus in the book. And then I thought to myself, well, is this just me? Is this just my experience working in software companies in Southern California for the past 20 years? Came really curious about this. And I, I interviewed worldwide colleagues and wrote the book Dynamic Reteaming, which talks about five base patterns of team change. And it has a lot of different stories. And then it has sections about how to get better at dealing with the situation when you're in a complex dynamic environment and things are changing a lot. So you can catalyze changes. Sometimes you do. Sometimes changes happen to your team or to your group from external factors. We, many of us encountered great shifts when COVID emerged in 2020. None of us were expecting this. It caused a variety of team changes in our industry. Some of them were, you know, not too pleasant involving layoffs and other things. You know, the inverse of that is when our companies grow very rapidly and we're in a in a kind of hyper growth situation. So there's there's tactics in the book for leaning into change and getting better at it because it really is inevitable. People are going to come, people are going to go, your teams are going to change. So focus there. So the book is really just a reframe. Don't go for the quest for stability because it's unrealistic. People, somebody is going to move if your company is bound to a geographical location and your employees move, your teams are going to change. So, you know, you can deal with that, but yeah. Well, when so. I read your when I was when I was reading your book, I thought, you know what, this is actually <laughs> more my experience also in terms of what happens and change. How often does the change does a team change stay the same for such a long time? How often does that really happen? It doesn't yeah. happen very often. Yeah. And and sometimes you want these teams to last forever. Sometimes you might get into this team situation and it's incredible. You're delivering value to your customers and they're delighted. It's an enjoyable experience. You feel like you're learning. Your colleagues are learning. Like sometimes we just never want these to end. Sometimes maybe though, and I'm not saying bust up all your teams and change them tomorrow. I'm not saying that at all. Because when you find that team chemistry, which I think is almost magical in some cases, you want to keep it. Right. But just, just like other things, nothing stays the same. And so enjoy it while you have it <laughs> enjoy it while you have it well so here i was wondering like when it if you were to think about 
you know, you had your experience and then you went and talked to colleagues around the world. And, you know, so I'm curious about this also from a multicultural, you know, more of a international global, however you want to call it, a perspective. What are a couple of things that surprised you through working on your book that you didn't expect? It really was a process of discovery. So I had interviews. They were each about an hour long. We would talk about team changes that they've experienced in the past. And it was really a process of discovery. I mean, the team change patterns that I write about in my book, they're called one by one, grow and split, isolation, merging and switching. Those five patterns were derived from this qualitative research. They emerged from that. So I didn't know when I started writing this book that there were what I discovered as five base patterns of how teams change. I didn't know that. So this was a process of discovery entirely. And it, and it was it was very exciting because sometimes people would say things like there's some somewhere in there, there's discussion about just team dynamics and how people describe the dynamics of a high functioning team and equate it to, you know, maybe like a jazz band or when you're playing different instruments and sometimes they just come together. That's something that I didn't I didn't know it was going to come into the book. I, you know, there are a lot of things in there that were really just motivating. And, you know, the content was really generated from the research. So it was a, Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, writes about a research approach called grounded theory. And she's a, you know, a PhD researcher, professor, and she writes about this approach in that approach inspired me not to do a grounded theory research project like I'm in academia, but kind of applying it to get a greater understanding of, of a topic. And so I applied it as a practitioner, talking to colleagues around the world. And yeah, it was the, the whole experience was sometimes I, I felt like I couldn't stop working on this, like everything else in life was getting in the way. Of working on this book, I, it really was an enjoyable experience, and it and it and it was about. It took the whole process was about five years. I wrote a second edition of the book published by O'Reilly that hones the ideas further from the original version. Well, it's a great it's a great book, and what I notice is, and what I'm curious about, you talk a lot about. Well, it's about team change, so you're talking a lot about structures in team structures or how structures change or how to change structures in order to have, as you say, teams of excellence, you know, effective teams or, or when things are not effective, what do you do? The choices, you give choices, I would say in there. And what's interesting to me from a communication perspective is that how structures influence communication flow um, and how team change, if it's not done in a caring way, you know, an intentional way, how that impacts communication flow and how communication flow impacts the effectiveness and the excellence in a team on whether a team, you know, is able to do what they're supposed to do. You know, this chemistry, you talk about team chemistry. And so I'd love to have some thoughts on how communication plays a role, whether it's the structure influencing communication, that direction, or the communication influencing 
the structure or chemistry, you know, do you have some yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah. That's a really great question. So it's one thing to have. So we face challenges every day in the work that we do. And I'm talking developing software and working with teams and, and software companies. And we find ourselves in an existing structure. And so, you know, the first step is really how are we organized now and what does that look like? So it's something that we can model using a shared reference, like a shared visual. And it's one thing that, that I do with my teams in the work that I do. So we have like our current state and then we encounter challenges, things we want to do. And we we decide that we want to be in a future state and we figure out what we want that structure to be like. But it's that's just a solution to current challenge that we're facing. There could be many possible solutions. So part of this is structure A goes to structure B, C, or D. Each of them have pros and cons. You, know, you figure out which way you want to go and why. And then how you go about this is important. Who do you include in these discussions about how your organization might change? Ideally, you're including people that are closest to the work to be done. And you get, you know, back to listening, right? You get different, how can you, how can you go about this change and include different voices to help shape it? Because it could be if you are in a group, could be a leadership group, management group, and you're far from the work, maybe the solution that you're suggesting is not appropriate, or maybe there's a better one. You might learn that, oh, you had option B here, but really option C is preferred or the people closest to the work suggest something completely different. So it's like you need to include people in the journey. And ideally, you want to give those decisions to the team to make. So the team faces challenges. They figure out solutions they want to try. One of the levers might be changing their structure, or it could be something else. And then you want to engage people in problem solving. So they come up with their solutions they figure out how they want to roll them out and then they reflect on them and try to apply this as learning going forward because the whole situation is you change something, you get a new structure, and you have a new set of challenges. So it's always this, you're trading problems, trading challenges. So if the people closest to the stuff that you're changing are facilitating the changes, I think the communicate getting to the communication piece of this, I think that it's closer to the source for one. If you're far away and you're making these changes, you have to have a communication wrapper around the change. And that's tricky because you, let's say if you're going to go from structure A to structure B, you're a leadership team, you're kind of far from the teams. So how do you get, how do you validate whether your new structure is actually kind of fit for purpose for the challenges that the team is facing? you really have to have a communication strategy around it. Like, how are we going to morph the solution for one with the voices of the people? How are we going to kind of roll out or kind of execute on this change? How are we going to reflect back and understand how it went? And the larger the change and the larger the group of people involved, the more challenging it is to get messages across. You might have, I talk in the book about, you know, writing things down. Current state, picture, future state, picture. You can do it in a variety of tools. I don't prescribe a specific way to do this. You could do it in a spreadsheet. You could do it in an online whiteboard. But you have a picture of the current state and the future state. And then you write an FAQ document as one structure, starting with at the top, 
Like what problem are we trying to solve by making these changes? And then you anticipate, you talk to different groups of people and you iterate this document that tries to bring everybody to the same point of understanding about this change that we're going to have. You circulate. So I think with, you know, that's like you, you have small groups, you interact with this document, you integrate comments and you really kind of make, you have this artifact that represents what you're trying to do. You share it, you post it in multiple forms, multiple times. Patrick Lencioni in his book, The Advantage, talks about how leaders need to be chief reminding officers. CEOs <laughs> need to be chief reminding officers. You need to say things seven times. If you, you think you're being clear, you wrote this document, you post it in, let's say, an announcements channel that goes to everyone, people aren't necessarily going to read it or find it. They could be busy that day. It goes past them. You have to just be redundant with the communication as much as you can. The stuff is really, really hard. And the larger the scale, the harder it is. That's why I think when we organize, if we can create smaller communities together that can really like decide how they change, I think you have a greater chance of success or learning. It can be quite fatiguing because it's so challenging. The well, I was value thinking, of communication is, mm-hmm. you know, undeniable. But I was thinking, you know, when companies are changing a lot, let's say there's growth, hyper growth, as you mentioned it, then, you know, these artifacts, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what you think about in terms of this artifact, the artifact probably as helps to helps people to be on one page kind of, and, and even if someone comes in a little, little bit later, or you only have three people, but you're hiring four soon after that, there's a place to go to. And that as that artifact is evolves that people know what to say, how to talk about what they're doing, how to, what the focus is, you know, not only for the team lead, but also for the members of the team, because some, sometimes that clarity is not there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I think these artifacts definitely help and then they kind of expire and you don't, you know, they have their shelf life. And then they go away. I think we have this like stream of work and then there's different people and then people come in and you have, you want to bring people up to speed who join your company, who join your team. So there's usually some kind of onboarding focus. And then maybe what you have people read from these artifacts changes across time because some things just become stale. You don't always have to keep everything up to date. It's kind of like in terms of managing organizational change, I think uh, you'll have certain scaffolds or certain aids that will help during a time frame, and then in in a month or two, they're maybe not that useful. I do always think you need a persistent visual of all of your people and teams. This is not an org chart. I'm talking the software development companies that work in cross-functional teams. Mm-hmm. So how you're organized is important, and I just like doing that in an open, accessible like a Google sheet where anybody can make changes to it. Because as the teams change and own their change, people are going to move around. And so everybody keeps this shared thing updated. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about a visual of who's on the team? Yeah, who's on each team. Right, right. So that's clear about who to go to and who's working on what and (laughs) how people Mm -hmm. are connected. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to ask you, you talk a lot about using change as a way to learn. And that part of this, this team change is important so that software engineers or, or people on the team can grow and learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. So 
you know, if we look at that traditional wisdom we were talking about before that says, you know, let's keep people in a team, let's get them to gel, and then, you know, magically we'll get high performance. It could be that somebody is on a team for a while and they're bored. They're yeah. looking for another job because they feel like they're in a terminal position. They're stuck in this team. Something has to change. If you don't allow opportunity for mobility, especially in this day and age where it's so competitive in hiring, especially in the software industry, if you don't enable people to grow and change, maybe they want to work on a different topic that's worked on only in another team. Maybe they want to work with different people. I mean, you know, just we can just face it like, you know, sometimes people get annoying and you want to work with others. So like, how do you provide these paths where people can kind of have this career growth? And you could even do it maybe beyond even a department. And, and I know wonderful partners in the like human resource people realm who talk about career pathing and providing opportunities to make moves into different parts of, of companies. And, and I really like that. So I think, you know, you can reteam for learning and fulfillment to get into a better place. We want people to feel like they're excited to come to work each day. They're working and they're learning and they're challenged and it's an enjoyable experience. And so you might not get it right the first time when they join a team, but in talking with people, listening to what they want, to where they want to head, really cultivating kind of career conversations, you can figure out their, you know, how you can best support them. So there's that. So you can reteam to enable others to learn. You know, it's also good for spreading knowledge around. Like if you want more people to work on a certain area or spread knowledge to other teams, so multiple teams can do the same kind of thing mm -hmm. for whatever reason, maybe it's a risky area, you can do that through fostering change in teams. Yeah. Well, I love how you talk about how this team changed, how it supports things like communication, managing conflict, learning you know, having effective teams, you know, in the process and that is just part of um, whether the companies are growing or whether, you know, merging or, or, or not. So just that's part of the process. I know that our time is coming to an end. So I just wanted to, we could probably keep talking for a long time. I had a lot more questions, but I would like to ask you if you were to be talking to some younger software engineers who are just getting into management. It's probably their first time. And because it's a high growth company, they're probably getting into this leading management position fairly quickly and handling teams that are growing from four to seven or something like this um, in a very short period of time. What kind of advice would you give to younger <laughs> professionals in this, in this area in terms of what might support them in this process? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so like, if you're talking like a, a new manager, I would say definitely there are different skills to dig into, right? There are general things about supporting the people that report to you and helping them get where they want to go. You're balancing kind of the needs of the company and the needs of the individuals. So you want to help cultivate the careers of the people that you manage and you want to spend time with them and pay attention and give them feedback in the moment. Ideally, if you're around them, if not, you want to, you always want to have like kind of regular one-on-one. -on -one. So it's kind of like how you approach, there's different skills that you can learn having effective one-on-ones, how to give people feedback, et cetera. I love the book, The Leader Lab from mm -hmm. the folks at Life Labs Learning. Getting coach training 
about listening and asking powerful questions to really cultivate the careers of people is important. I think also, yeah, it's like, I have a lot of books behind me here and there's like certain books that I would encourage people to read. And also know that, you know, it is a journey and you, you might not feel like you're always prepared from the start when you're doing something new, but you don't have to be perfect. You're going to learn along the way. That's great advice. Yeah. There's this need to have to have things perfect and it may not always be that case. So Heidi, if people want to find you and they want to find your book, where, where can people find you? Yeah. So I have a website, HeidiHealthAnd.com and they can find me there. Heidi.HealthAnd at gmail.com is my email address. You can find my book, Dynamic Reteaming online. You can go to Amazon, for example. If you want an audio version of the second edition of Dynamic Reteaming, it's on the O'Reilly Learning Platform at O'Reilly.com. And yeah. We'll put these uh, links in the in the notes for anybody who's listening. Do you have a final thought you would like to leave with the listeners? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it's a busy world right now. It can feel quite chaotic and overwhelming with everything that we're dealing with, with COVID, with working differently, and take care of yourself. Prioritize your health, your family's health, and just do the best you can. It's there are a lot of new challenges that we're facing, I think, globally and give people a little grace and space and allow for messiness. Um, we're all in this together. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Heidi, for being on the Listen In podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Raquel. I enjoyed the experience. I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Please subscribe and like this podcast and share it with others so we can catalyze a listening movement together. A big thank you to Evo Timan for producing the music and Cecilia Mercado for getting this podcast set up. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in. Thank you.